0: or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code Podcast30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion hosted by Michael Guyett.
1: This should be a really interesting conversation. John uh, reached out to me uh, and wanted to talk markets, looked into his background, figured it might be, certainly will be a worthwhile conversation. And uh, as always, this will be in all your favorite platforms under that Lead Lag Live banner. Uh, With all that said, my name is Michael Guyad, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Uh, Joining me there is John Markman, uh, the Prince of Peril, which I think is a good – good way of describing oneself. Uh, John, introduce yourself to the
2: audience. I was supposed to be the principal of apparel, but I wasn't dressed well that day, so we just shortened it to apparel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, there you go. Uh, So introduce yourself to the audience here. Uh, John, who are you? What's your background? You're involved in instant markets, and what are you doing now?
2: Sure. My name is uh, John Markman. I am a. I started life as a uh, journalist. Worked for the LA Times for about 20 years. I was a financial columnist for a long time. And then um, when just at the dawn of the internet, around... 1997, I got invited by Microsoft to come up and help them start MSN, with the editorial piece of MSN, and so I created with my team a um, you know the whole everything you see now or MSN money or stuff that we created back in the mid '90s. While I was there at Microsoft, I got a chance to work with a great team of data analysts and with some of the best, including people who had invent literally invented Excel, and I created a, a, um, I used that expertise and some other um, individuals to create a the first stock rating system in the United States, since Value Line, and that worked out fantastic. Still working to this day. And on around 2002, I left Microsoft. Started. I went. I started a, a work as a portfolio manager for a hedge fund. It lasted a couple of years, and then I went out on, on my own as a financial services provider. And that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. I have three newsletters, or four newsletters. I'm sorry. Um, tactical options for options. Uh, precision PDF. Uh, precision ETFs or ETFs, strategic advantage about the technology stocks behind the great digital revolution.
1: It must be interesting kind of being at the early stages of the Internet revolution and building out MSN money. Um, How has financial media content changed in your view from from those days in the in the mid late 90s to today?
2: It's kind of hilarious because it hasn't changed hardly at all. You know, back then it was black text on a white background. And guess what? Today, it's black text on a white background. You know, journalism hasn't really the the piece of obviously journalism hasn't changed, and the technology hasn't really changed that much either. We just want to provide provide information in the most you know, the clear and concise way possible, and it still seems to be black caps on a white background. In addition, I think the real the real changes have been um, services like this one here at, um, at Twitter with Twitter Spaces, so that people can use their voices rather than rather than typing, which is a a, a big deal. Do
1: you think that? Um... The, the attention span of audiences has has gotten shorter. I mean, you know, back then there was such a thing as a long term investor. And, and nowadays, I'd argue maybe not so much.
2: Well, I mean, there's been a lot of studies about that, right? I mean, people, Fidelity will tell you, people have to talk about the study that Fidelity did. They found out that it's best it's it's best. Investors over the past fifty years were people who had died.
1: Yeah, the uh, the so called phantom accounts, right? It's like those the accounts that uh, people forgot about uh, end up having the best returns because they're not reacting off of noise and volatility. I think is the point.
2: That is that is exactly the point. I mean, obviously, um, you know, if you can trade uh, extremely quickly, like the high high frequency um, boxes do on Wall Street, and you can make money off that, hey, be my guest. But for the most part. I think individuals are best best off taking a long term
1: view. All right. So let's talk about uh, your long term view here uh, for a bit in terms of cycles and where we've been. I think a lot of people would be uh, surprised if you entered the year and said we're going to have a regional banking crisis that you'd have the S&P still up 7 percent for the quarter. Uh, People would probably think you'd be crazy. Now, that's more of a short term, intermediate term. but. What's your view on where we are in the cycle? Is, are the lows in? Are we in a new secular bull? Just kind of riff on that for a bit. Sure,
2: with a caveat that nobody, nobody really knows anything. I'll tell you my, my point of view anyway. You know, obviously last year was a terrible year for, for technology, and for small cap stocks. Coming in, when the calendar turned to January 1st, everyone expected the same to continue. Except, of course, it was the opposite. The technology stocks within the S&P 500 are up 21% in the first quarter. And do you know how much the Dow is up? Not even one percent. So it's really been a gigantic swing from the most, the least risky insurance that you could own in last year to the most risky insurance you can own this year. But of course, um, I don't think really the public, even though that's that's something we can see on the surface, I think that's really that differential that Delta is really being captured mostly by professionals. I think that individual investors have had a hard time making the transition from taking uh, from the kind of losses that they suffered with technology last year and. Bringing it over into the, with their into their approach this year, which is all to which is all to say, I think that technology has a long way to go—not just this year, but probably for the next nine or ten years.
1: So you so you don't buy the argument that you know the the tech sector is 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 done. That growth is going to be weak relative to value. That you know we're back to sort of the uh, the old playbook, right? If you want to play beta, you play Nasdaq.
2: Well, that, that, you know that, that was my, that was last year, right? Last year was all about playing playing it safe. Staying out of the way, and making and adjusting to the fact that the Federal Reserve was going to raise interest rates by as much as three or four percentage points. But that was last year. You know, the market looks forward, and so what the question is: What happens next? And I think that investors are looking forward to the end of a rate tightening cycle. Obviously, something that's up for a lot of debate. But I think that's what investors are looking at now and getting ready for Q two, three, and four. That could surprise significantly on the upside.
1: I've been on the um, the melt-up kick really since October, and um, I keep referencing this point that this is a pre-election year. Uh, pre-election years tend to be the strongest in the presidential cycle, and that this year could surprise a lot of bulls, but it could be still a volatile period. I mean, I happen to think there might be risk of a correction in April, just as everybody's getting comfortable um, with what seems to be the end of this in quote crisis. Talk about um, how you think about volatility.
2: April is, uh, you know, typically the best month of the entire year in addition to that, in addition to December. And I don't think that's really likely to change too much. I mean, people are really believing the idea that the earnings are going to be terrible, the economy is going to be terrible, banking is, banks are blowing up, and that, you know, if people are settling in, even professionals are settling in for a week, a week, a uh, quarter to come. But I just think that's just just wrong, you know. The market looks forward. It looks around the it looks around the corner, and it sees the potential for the Fed to start raising, look, dropping rates as soon as uh, the midsummer. And if that happens, I think you're going to smoke a lot of bears and quasi bears out of out of hiding and force them into the market. It's going to be a, a forced trade. You know, the, the reality is that in professional investors not lag the, the, the market. They just it's just it's death. Their assets will move, so they're going to have to catch up. And I think that that could make a spectacular. April
1: and May. Has it been surprising to you that maybe markets haven't gone down more? I mean, it was on a real return basis, obviously, very ugly last year, but the narrative uh, seems to make it seem by the bears, the real bears, that we're in this high inflation environment, it's stagflation, it's going to be years of frustrating movements, and that ultimately we're going to be hitting lower lows. Where are they getting it wrong? I hear you on the point that markets are forward looking. But what, why is there a disconnect between the narrative that's out there in the popular media and, and price?
2: People are naturally scared. And they're just always scared about losing uh, their money in the markets. And, but, you know, we, we, the markets survive. You know, they're, they're very resilient. Uh, they're made up of people who are greedy. And that's I'm not saying that greed is good. Gre- greed is good. I'm not going to go Gordon Gecko on you. But the fact that is that um, it's still the best way to, to, for individuals and individuals, institutions and families to grow their wealth over time. And it's going to continue to be that way. You know, I, f- I find the, the timing of the recent rally really interesting. If the current rally turns out to be the rally, uh, its closest resemblances are all, they all occurred in March, Marches over the last 20 years. March 2003 was the end of the bear market, you know, the, bull, the dot-com bear market. March 2009 was the end of the financial prices bear market. March 2020 was the, was the bottom of the pandemic bear market. And now, guess what? It's March two thousand twenty-three. Here we go again.
1: Yeah, I've I've seen similar points on that. Um, Yeah, and
2: and and, you're saying I'm I'm not original.
3: No, (laughs) no, no. no, I'll
2: just throw in one little bone for myself. I did happen to call the October thirteenth, October thirteenth, low to the day. It was was kind of. I did it because I always tell my subscribers that the single best day to invest in the market um, over time has been October thirteenth. You take all the years going back to, you know, eighteen sixty-eight. The president average them all out. October thirteenth is the best day, and that actually, that actually happened to be the bottom of the recent other reasons bear market
1: let's tease that out a little bit so some people will be skeptical around that idea that there's sort of a regularity in cycles or certain calendar dates seasonality um what what do you find uh-huh. drives that those types of dynamics Is, it, it, it seems awful that.
2: I mean we're human there's there's uh, I'm not a massive cycle guy but the cycles rule our, our lives you know we have we have the, uh, the the tide going in and out we have seasons we have the moon going around the sun right the earth. We have all all, uh, our, as human beings, we're connected to the cycles of of the earth. And I think that these, you know, in some ways, I don't mean to be all mystical on you or anything, but I think that it's subsumed into our thinking. And we we find that these um, kinds of cycles happen over and over again. In some cases, just because they're self fulfilling, so everybody knows that they're there. Hi, hey, everybody. I mean, professional investors.
1: Right. So, if they all start believing it's, it's going to happen, then obviously it happens because they're allocating capital for it to happen. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Gaet here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. It's mean, kind of the idea.
2: It happens because it happens, yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty sophisticated thinking, but that's yeah, where I'm going.
1: Exactly. Um, okay, I, I, so I looked up on Amazon uh, your book, Fast Forward uh, Investing, <laughs> which uh, it looks like it came out in 2018. Sounds like you were ahead of that uh, era that we hit in 2020 before a lot of other people were. Uh, first of all, I'm just curious. Uh, why the interest in the tech AI side <laughs> back then, gene editing, robotics, all the stuff that we hear now, what what turned you on to that as something that uh, you thought back then would be worth focusing on?
2: Well, I mean, uh, it, it occurred to me when I started to look at um, artificial intelligence models that have been used, you know, both for investing in in, in the real world. Um, I began to get real interested in it, and the, the deeper I went into the studies of in, in artificial intelligence and its potential for human behavior, the more interested, the more fascinated I got, and the more interested I was, I was in finding ways to take advantage of it. And you know, to me, you can wrap up the whole concept, the single phrase, and the great digital transformation. I think the digital great di- digital transformation will be the most important investment um, opportunity of our lifetimes, and it and it's you know it started it started back in you know when IBM created the PC, and it continues now with um, open Open AI developing the, the most incredible um, consumer facing AI engine we've ever seen. Our last book also contained a lot about electro um, electric cars, you know gene editing, et cetera. these are you know advances on the on the very front edge of where we're going as humans and I think it's important for for individuals to be able to learn about those opportunities and um and invest in them for the long term and sometimes for the long term can be really short I mean sometimes these companies go belly up, but I think you just, if you have a a, a good Solid set of them, maybe five to ten of them in your portfolio, you can do really well. And I'm not talking about any crazy little IPOs. I'm saying Microsoft, for instance, has made a tremendous um, investment in AI. Broadcom has made a tremendous investment. Nvidia is probably the, is not just the king of all semiconductor but the king of um, artificial intelligence as well. Schlumberger is, has used in artificial intelligence uh, to help company uh, oil companies find you know new Sources of energy underneath the ground. So, and you know, Home, Home Depot and all the retailers are also using artificial intelligence to do a better job of matching their inventory with with purchases. Just just to name one thing. So it's just really it's all it's encompassing. I think that um, I was lucky, I was fortunate to be able to write the book back in eighteen, and, and and it's very gratifying to see some of those predictions come true now. So
1: of of the the main. Categories: AI, driverless car, cars, gene editing, robotics, and and the other technologies you focus on. Um, are there are there anything that you wrote back, about back then that um, have maybe played out in a different way than you thought it would? Um, are there anything that have? You know,
2: I think that artificial intelligence and the transformation are are similar to the advent of electricity that we saw back in the late the harnessing of electricity, which we really saw back in the late eighteen hundreds, and um, I think GM, the, the mainstream auto companies are going faster in, into electric, electric vehicles than I expected. And I would say that on the other side, um, I, I thought that by now we'd have a, a lot of uh, autonomous uh, self-driving cars on the road. I thought, I, I thought that was going to happen by 2020. And I was wrong. You know, it's not even really, it's not, here we are in 2023 and it's still lagging. But I do think that's a solvable problem. And we'll, we'll, we'll look back on this and say, wow, I can't believe people used to drive their own cars. It's, that's so stupid. You know, I mean, it, it's it's quite, you know, every time that there's an accident with a, with a with a Tesla, for instance, people say, well, there goes that idea. That's never going to work. Well, forget, you know, if you look back in 10 years from now, you're going to see that that was, there were, there were certainly some bumps in the road, but, our, but, but autonomous driving and electric vehicles are trends that are here to stay. They just have to. AI is much better at understanding the road than humans are. Humans are very, and you know, we all like to think we're the best drivers in the world, but we're not. And uh, and I think that the government and industry are going to combine to say, to, I, mean, I think it will become very difficult to get insurance if you want, if you want to be a solo driver. The insurance companies will require you to have a self-driving car.
1: That's where things are lagging the most, right? I mean, you know, the government is notoriously slow anyway at things, right? Just given it the bureaucracy elements of the way things work. But you know, technology moves at a much faster pace. So uh, I hear you at some point, you know, it'll be more expensive to insure an individual than a self-driving car. But. It was presumably going to take a long time to get the government kind of to be on that bandwagon.
2: You no, know, I think I think that's right. You know, but they're they're on the bandwagon now. They're looking. They're uh, trying to f- formulate ways to regulate um, self-driving cars. And ultimately, ultimately, they'll do it. They'll get it right. I mean, you, know, you can just think of all the people back in you know 1905 who who said you know a, model, a Ford will never replace my horse. Well, you know, there's still horses, but I think. I think forward one.
1: When you when you think about technology kind of reshaping uh, our future and and making society wealthier,
2: talk about maybe some
1: of the downside risks and some of the maybe ethical challenges that come about. I mean, the idea of gene editing, right, can be obviously quite controversial. Right, you're taking things out of "in quotes" God's hands, and you're letting science do some of that stuff. Um, do, do you think there's there would be uh, there's going to be some kind of pushback on some of these things, which you know they're unstoppable, but could be slowed down by certain viewpoints.
2: Well, there's no. Um, I I agree with um uh, with um Elon Musk that we are taking artificial intelligence much too lo- loosely, and I do think that there's a danger of AI's you know becoming more intelligent, more capable of of doing human-like things, and uh, there's a there's a potential for them to take out companies to take to drop a lot of jobs, a lot of jobs. I mean, millions of jobs. Away from individuals, and so I would I would really worry about th- that the most. Of all with the things I, w- I wrote about, the, the AIs can become a- autonomous, and they can lead us in directions that we can't even fathom today. I think, I'm I'm a little bit worried about it, and I th- I think that you know that it was just a letter signed by like a thousand scientists who said the same thing. Did you hear about that? It was last I think it was earlier this week.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, I go back to the regulation around it. If any would is not going to be fast enough to catch up. So to the extent that they, yeah, you know, the the issue that I always have with the AI is okay, it's, it's self learning, but you know, it, it's there's always an element of you know, could there be uh, manipulation of the answers, right? Based on
2: the question to my to me is could it be could they be sentient? There was a great there was a great show on a few years ago. It was created by the BBC based on a Swedish series it was called humans it was on it was on amc and you know, i think you can still see it see it now on amazon prime tremendous show i didn't get the, the, the viewership that it deserved but it really looked into this question of how close will we be to our robots to our what they call them they call them synth, synth, synths synthetics um how close will we get to be our to our robots so let's say that you know uh, will will they if they seem intelligent Real, but they require electricity to move. Can they? Do the, can can robots have life? Can the robots have rights? For instance, you know, if I shoot my gun in my house, no one's going to look twice. At me. They may think I'm an idiot, but they won't like try to sue me. If I shoot a dog, that's a terrible thing. that I might go to jail, but it's not a capital crime. But what if I want to shoot my robot, who's been my caretaker for the last ten years? Is that a capital, will that be a capital crime? Maybe. So I think these are the things we're going to have to start thinking about. And I think the government isn't even close to thinking about regulating stuff like that.
1: I mean, it may not be a crime, but it's going to be an expense. Uh, <laughs> I think is the way to to frame it. I mean, yeah, the idea of, of taking out technology. Right there.
2: Exactly. I don't think you're going to go shooting your your, your robot anytime soon. But the, rea- the but the question is, is it sentient? And if it's sentient, does it have rights? And I think that ultimately, in maybe twenty. 20 years, we're going to say, yeah, they are sentient. They are sentient in some fashion. They probably do have rights. I, mean, I don't, I don't I mean they sound like a crackpot. I'm just trying to say what might happen in 15 to 20 years.
1: I wonder if um, if you think on the AI side, it will diminish our collective sense of what it means to be creative. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the same videos I have that people are going to chat GPT. They're, they're saying, come up with a script relating to some subject. They find somebody on Fiverr. To create a video around that they do some text-to-speech and now there's a video that was created with the artificial intelligence uh, uh content
2: i love that i mean you should you should try if you had, people out there who are listening who haven't tried it they should just go and try it you, do, you can go to GP, gpt 3 or 4 and type in something like you know write me a song about two people who were once friends and not, are now drifting apart who go to the ocean and f- f- regain their re, and uh, regain their friendship and then G2, GPT thinks about that for a few minutes, and it will, it'll spit back a, a remarkably beautiful song using those inputs. So, yeah, I think we're not prepared, we're not prepared for the creativity that uh, AI is going to provide should provide to us in positive and some some negative ways in the future.
1: Well, but, the, but that's my point. It's that negative point, right? It, creativity is it's like a muscle. If you don't, if you if you're not using it as a human being, and you're having something else be the creative engine, well, then you know. You lose that edge as, as to what it means to be human, right? To have that creativity, I would argue.
2: Yeah, I mean, by, by the same token, you know, I think we've lost uh, the ability to, to ride horses, you know, to have major transportation. But I don't think it's really ruined our lives. Um, I do think that there is some some trouble, some worry, It's legi- legitimate to worry about the loss of creativity in the in the rising in the rise of uh, AIs, but I think that other other types of entertainment and creativity will replace the ones that we're familiar with. You know who could have imagined? You know, 1920 that we'd be sitting around listening, watching, you know, cable television, streaming TV, streaming shows and whatnot. But uh, it didn't really ruin our creativity. It's just enhanced our lives in a new way. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. I, it's just I, I, just, I'm, I'm, I'm cynical of of uh, the way. And maybe this is me being the old man yelling at the clouds. That kind of meme, but. You know, it's like younger generations seemingly from my perspective are getting lazier because it's so much easier to be lazier because they can simply put something in chat GPT and then get their homework questions answered without even thinking
2: yeah well yes, that's probably true and you know if that if that person doesn't get a good grade in school and falls by the wayside and doesn't go to college and ends in, ends in a menial, menial job, that's sort of the universe's way of taking care of that of people who are you know using it in the using the technology in the wrong way. But uh, I think that there are lots of positive ways of thinking about GBT. It really, uh, for, for people like uh, journalists, you know, it provides a level of of research that may require, it could have required like seven hours worth of effort and you condense that into, you know, 10 minutes. And what are you gonna do with those other seven six hours and 50 minutes? Probably, yeah, you can find a lot of good uses for that. Maybe go to the driving range and improve your golf stroke. Not that, I'm, not that I'm speaking personally or anything. But.
1: Exactly. Let's relate that, again, to the point about the Nasdaq and kind of big tech and kind of a broader cycle that continues for big tech as the leader. One of the frustrations, criticisms, whatever you want to call it, of the last decade is you ended up having this real concentration around just a few mega cap tech companies that really drove the headline averages while most of the things really didn't even – yeah, you know, this quarter's performance you know, would not anywhere near look as strong if you took out Microsoft and you know, a couple other big cap tech names. Um, do you think that AI will only further the market cap concentration of these big cap tech names because they're the ones with the resources to to create it, to implement it, and then capture all the alpha out of it?
2: I don't really worry about that, to tell you the truth. Um, yes, they will use it in, in important ways, in valuable ways, but I think that. AI actually will help ChatGPT and the and the rest will help smaller companies become larger efficiently, more efficiently because they won't have to pay a lot of uh, a lot of people who are making high salaries and whatnot to do the work that can be now seen as a little bit more menial. So, um, yeah, I'm not wor- I'm not that worried about that. Are you, are you?
1: Well, I mean, I worry about it from the standpoint of just concentration risk, right? It, it, just thinking about just a, a passive I mean, I, a benchmark, right?
2: The thing I do worry about the most, though, is I think about my kids. You know, when they were in uh, junior junior high school, every night they would have book reports and s- speeches and things to, 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 uh, to work on. And, you know, they would do their work and then they would bring it to me and I would go over and tell them about how to do a better job of using commas and paragraphs and phrases and t- teaching them about parsing language and stuff like that. Um, and they both grew up to be pretty good writers and, you know, thinkers. I worry about... The fact that you can, a kid can go to, to Chibichi and ask for a r- book report on, you know, off um, one floor of the cuckoo's nest and get it in 30 seconds and, rather than thinking about it themselves. And so far, we haven't found any ways of preventing them from doing that. So I think that's just, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. Well, it is a bad thing, but it'll be a, it'll be interesting to see how schools and municipalities regu- regulate the, the use of these tools by...
3: We'll be back after a quick break.
2: students
1: right it means you need ai to tell if it's ai right, <laughs> right. i think it's kind of the which is which is actually a whole nother bizarre that's der- that's one. One. I don't know, but really, I don't, like how else would you do it right if you're gonna you need to have something that could that could tell it's a marker or something that's artificially driven
2: as they say in basketball game recognizes game. game
1: exactly right i mean that's kind of the idea there um i got a question from one of the audience members saying can you ask john about the Tesla robot, uh, his opinion and on that and Neuralink.
2: you want to know about my opinion about the robots being used at, at Tesla? I don't know much about them today, to tell you the truth. All I know is that robots in the factory floor have proven to be not as effective as really advocates wanted them to be. And I think that they'll get a lot better as, as time goes on. But right now, I, I think that they're, you know, you, you look at what Elon Musk has achieved and you have to tip your hat to him. Ro- the robots have not proven to be as effective as I think his even his team expected, and so there's a lot of growth available in that space. And you know what's interesting is, um, if you look at the stock market, uh, I would have thought that there there would be a lot of great companies to invest in t- to take advantage of robots, but there really aren't. All the robot focused companies have been pretty have been pretty weak. I think it's because they depress they maybe they depress margins or they just aren't as effective as, as we all thought they would be in the, in the beginning. There's a, there's a lot of things that aren't. There's a lot of things that aren't as investable as you might think. Like for every house, every every car needs needs, uh, needs um, airbags, for instance. But you know, you're not going to go out and invest in airbag companies.
1: Yeah, and I think that's actually maybe a good direction to go. Which is, you know, if you're trying to play some of these mega tech themes, um, are there more levered ways of playing them, more direct ways of playing them than just the Microsoft of the world, right? And if there are, how do you even go about identifying now,
2: them? I would say there are lots of smaller companies out there who are doing interesting things in that space. But I don't really think that the Microsoft, the Microsoft's Nvidia's and and, you know, monolithic power. I think these chip companies are not that expensive right now, particularly after the the recent, you know, two year shakeout. And I, I don't I it doesn't bother I don't their valuations are high, but they're not nothing nothing like they nothing like outrageous. The kind of nothing like the kind of thing we saw before the Big financial crisis are certainly not as high as during the, you know, mid '90s of the dot-com era. Are they more expensive? Yes, they are more expensive because they're growing faster.
1: Going back to the, the uh, your prior life on the journalism side, um, was there was there more of an edge in following use flow back then when it came to figuring out future investments than there is today? Um, I'm curious if. You think markets are maybe more efficient or even less efficient uh, in terms of the reaction and use flow?
2: Well, I think it's much much more efficient today when you, information gets disseminated via you know via Meta via, via Facebook via Twitter via you know instant messenger et cetera. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the case. What do you think?
1: It's hard. To, in theory, yes, you're you're right. It's more efficient, but there's also more. Um, I would say overpricing. Right, so just like this regional bank crisis in quotes, right? Everyone saw the headlines. It was priced in pretty quickly, but then it caused an overreaction in terms of this narrative that it was the end of the world, which caused you know, uh, right? This you can argue a bit of this rip, right? This this month.
2: The reaction, the reaction function was amazing. It's such an we're going to be studying what happened um, in, to Silicon Valley Bank for for decades. People, that will be a case study of the psychology of. Uh, about banks, and I think really one thing it really did is exposed and exposed uh what banks really are, which is uh just a giant box of leverage you know it does like
1: the whole u s economy in in fairness
2: well you know you you look at i mean what you what you see when you see a bank is you have this thin layer of deposits at the bottom of it all right and let's just say you have a twenty foot I mean, a twenty brick stucco wall or brick wall. You have this; the bottom two layers of of rock are your deposits. Then you have like eighteen rows of of leverage, like of credit, and those deposits are holding up all that leverage. But if you have someone something come along that that takes out that layer at the bottom, the whole thing falls down. And it's just and that's what we that's what we witnessed two weeks ago, two weeks ago. We we got re 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 schooled on the concept that banks are. Very dangerous leverage boxes of high leverage, and they should be treated with a lot more caution than they are.
1: And that, and that basically killed the whole value. Track. I mean, it, the, to your point about the reaction function, it's also the reaction function internally by the market. The, the the response to the banking "in quotes" crisis wasn't get out of stocks; it was rotate out of financials, but stay in stocks, and, which is what benefited the tech.
2: Right. I, I, think, I think it's fair to say that um tech pe- picked up the balance. Some technology companies picked up picked up the the psychological edge to in the investor's minds. And, you know, I think you've seen the phrase um, that's very popular, popular right now. This, this, the one thing that's very popular to say right now in investment circles is that big tech is a safe haven, which is kind of hilarious, but it, it isn't actually that crazy because, you know, you could easily one day wake, wake up in the morning and discover that your bank, your shares of a bank have gone to zero, but that's never going to happen with the Microsoft or, nvidia you're not gonna wake up one morning and it's final your, your does went to zero
1: yeah i mean they, they, listen they're, they're safe havens until they're not i mean it's this is like classic narrative following price i mean if you have a real credit event or something that just shakes beta to think that any sector would be held higher yeah you're gonna have relative outperformance sure but you know real fear does not discriminate around whether it's ai or or an energy stock what any any uh, interesting observations that you've you've been kind of noting in some of your research um, that are maybe emerging trends or themes that maybe people are not focusing on?
2: Well, I mean, you don't really need a lot of a lot of themes to to, to power a market, and right now I think the the emotional edge is being has been has been the exit of the, the re entrance of people into technology stocks after having abandoned them last year you know if you had you had a year's worth of abandonment of, of technology and now it's only been three three months that they've come back into favor um they have they have a long way to go in my opinion uh, you've probably seen this in your own work michael you know there's, there's no great i mean obviously people get excited about stocks and they become great bulls, but when people get down on a stock and they're bearish on it it takes them even longer to keep up a bearish position then it takes them then it takes them to give up a bullish position and so so, so that, that that makes these kinds of Periods really drag out, you know. The the last crisis, the major crisis that we had, that ended in March two thousand nine. Nobody wanted to touch stocks. Nobody wanted to touch technology. Nobody wanted to touch risk. And yet, you know, at the bottom, as I said earlier, you know, stocks are the best way for families to build wealth, and and they they came back and and they and but it took ten years. I think that. Uh, the crisis this time lasted about a year, so you know maybe it only, maybe the, this cycle lasts you know six or seven years. This for tech instead of ten.
1: Yeah, that, that points an interesting one, right? The, the, the idea that people get more invested in a bearish thesis than a than a bullish thesis. This is probably where it's true. I mean, you always sound smarter being negative, right? I mean, as a generalist, right? It's just the negative narrative always sounds smarter. But that's also probably why the momentum phenomenon exists to begin with. Why there's underreaction and uptrend, because it takes time uh, for that negative narrative to to become a positive one. And oftentimes, by the time everyone's suddenly positive, it's the end of it.
2: Yeah. I think it's I think it's right. You know, and this is why you know you look back and you just try to put yourself back in your the shoes of where you were on March six, two thousand and nine. I mean, we people had gone way past the apathy stage to almost hating stocks yet that was the beginning of a you know twelve year bull market, and um, we've we've gone through a period now where the stocks are hated for about a year and a quarter, I would say. So maybe we have another you know six to ten six to eight years to go to, to get people back involved.
1: Do you get a sense that people hate stocks more or hate bonds more?
2: <laughs> good question. What do you think?
1: I always have a problem with the idea that it's the end of the in quotes forty year bond bull market. I know everyone uses that line. The problem that I have with that is it assumes that you're at the end of the government spending bull market. You can't have an end to a bond bull market unless you end government spending, because the rates have to be low in order to finance that government spending, right? Which means higher bond prices, lower yields. So this, this, so and I'll tell you just for anecdote. I mean, I, I think a lot of people. First of all, I think a lot of people don't really understand bonds in general, right? People are used to. Just thinking about volatility in stocks, not volatility in bonds. Volatility often brings opportunity. After extreme volatility, you had the most volatility you can imagine in the bond market last year, but nobody wants to still touch them. Even the narrative that you keep seeing about, oh, you know, why would anybody invest in stocks when you can get you know guaranteed four percent? It's like, is anybody really pulling out of their stock portfolio to go into T bills? I I don't see it.
2: Well, people from, I mean, I was around during the during the nineteen eighties run on. Money market funds when the inflation was way up. I remember back in the eighties when there was high inflation, and money market funds were going for ten percent, eleven percent, twelve percent, thirteen percent, fifteen percent. And I remember my mom being so excited that she'd get you know fifteen percent of her money, so she would you know move it from bank to bank as different banks offered, offered uh, higher priced CDs. But what she didn't she didn't really understand, and which I tried to explain to her over and over again, is that you, you only get a fifteen percent. Money market fund. If your inflation's at sixteen percent, you know, it's, there's no free lunch. You don't get five percent. And right, right now, you don't get five percent on a CD for nothing. You get five percent because inflation's at, at six. Basically, right. the real value of buying one of those CDs or money market funds is much lower than advertised.
1: Yeah, no, and people people always think in terms of nominal, not real. I mean, that's that's just the real. Which you know, and maybe that's your argument. It's like at least with stocks, you might have a chance at getting some positive return. Which is why nobody wants to go into T-bills because no matter what, it's still negative real rates.
2: Yeah, well, you know, it, it, um, inflation erodes the value of money, and it, it makes money today worth less than money money tomorrow. So people, so it's really a it's, it's really a nasty, nasty cycle, and I, I just think that for the most part, you know, people at the end of their investing you know, of their of the periods in which they need direct access to their money, and are you know should move into some kind of credit instruments that are safe. And advised by you know, as advised by their financial manager, but for the most, but during but during their working lives, I think people should. The evidence, the research shows that stocks are a much better way to build build wealth over time.
1: Although it's important to note that research is only showing that in U.S. markets, <laughs> because the reality is international is still a basket case. I mean, I think that's kind of a frustrating part of wanting to diversify globally. It's, it's hard to justify it when the U.S. is the only game in town.
2: Well, I mean that's not strictly true. I mean, a- Asia, yeah, has been a mix, but uh, you know, Europe is is out is out is out um, performing uh, United States by a mile this year. And, and in fact, especially Spanish Spanish banks in particular um, have done extremely well versus U.S. banks. It's, I'm talking about banks like oh, well, you know, the, the usual suspects in Spain: BBVA and Banco, Banco son. I'm blanking right now. It's, it's symbol SAN, but yeah, if, if you look if you look at Europe right now, it's actually doing quite quite well, and uh, sh- just despite the war in you know in in Ukraine, yeah, they've 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 they well, over a ten year period, you'll only see Europe typically surpass U.S. stocks in a in a calendar year about t- twice during the during a ten year period, and I think we're in one of those right now. If you wanted to, you know. A, Drop your J.P. Morgan and buy something like BBVA or S.A.N. I think you'd probably be happy by the end of the year. Also, you know the European the European steel stocks are doing extremely well. Um, yeah, so Europe Europe is in a pretty interesting space right now. They're they're exiting a period of skepticism and loathing, and their populations are increasing, and their demand for things like steel and construction equipment and and lawns is is, is increasing so uh, if if you want to look overseas i think that's the place to look that's all and it's also fun to go visit your money in spain I,
1: listen, I, I i i have not been to spain in in two decades but uh i remember madrid was uh one of the cleanest cities you could possibly ever visit uh you don't see much of that in new york and san francisco uh for, for sure compared to compared to Spain.
2: there you go we have cleaner a cleaner investment environment.
1: Yeah, yeah, no exactly, exactly. Um, any how do people find you John for those that might be interested in some of your work, some of your research?
2: They can text the word fast FAST to 206 672 5064. And if they do that, they're going to they they can um get a free copy of my, a free digital copy of my last book.
1: Yeah, and and your website?
2: Uh, markmancapital.net, www.markmancapital.net. We have uh, four newsletters that have done extremely well this year, and we would, we would appreciate it, And I'd love to have an opportunity to discuss that with some of your listeners. Again, once again, text FAST to 206 672 5064, and we'll email you back a, a copy of my latest, a digital copy of my latest book It's called Fast Forward Investing.
1: That's a uh, good place to wrap this Twitter space up. Uh, hopefully, it was enjoyable. Thank you, John. Appreciate it.
3: Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Leadlag Report on X, Instagram, Threads and YouTube, and check out the Leadlag report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code podcast30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.